0: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Feel free to have a seat. It's your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, we will be in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 20 today. I'll go ahead and pray for us, and we'll dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and you are our God. Help us to understand what reality is. Help us to live firm in the foundation of who you are, what you've done on our behalf, the world that you've made, how it works, what you're doing in it. And help for us, for this not to just be some kind of abstraction, but the reality that we are awake to, the reality that we are walking in, uh, the reality that we do day-to-day life in. And Lord God, I pray you would help us as we walk in life to stay focused on who you are, to follow you with everything we've got, and to walk in that reality. Charged by faith in you, Jesus. Lord, guide our steps today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Okay, so today we're in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 20. Now, the context of Proverbs, uh, in particular in this. In this instance, this is Solomon writing. Now Solomon uh, is using a literary device. It's the discipleship between a father and a son. Now this applies to all of us, but the literary device he's using is a father talking to his son. Uh, And this particular father is talking to his particular son in this particular paragraph about being awake to the things that he's taught him. Knowing what he's taught him. Actually taking those things into the reality of his life and staying on the path that is the path following that reality. Now, of course, this is Proverbs. I cannot say enough. This isn't simply about some little bits of wisdom that make our life a little bit easier or a little bit smoother or a how-to in life. Proverbs is very clear. The basis for knowledge, the basis for wisdom is knowing who God is, period. The the wisdom that's in uh, Proverbs uh, is not simply some uh, uh, anecdotal stuff. It's not simply some pithy statements that we put on a calendar on our desk so we remember we got to work when we're at work. Remember the... Aunt? Oh, you sluggard. Yeah, get, get up and not be lazy. It's true. It's Proverbs. That's Proverbs too. But the thing about understanding Proverbs is understanding the context of what's actually being said here. Now, of course, as New Testament Christians, we understand that the context of knowing God is through Jesus Christ. The, the, the big way to know God, the way to know God, is through Jesus and who He is and what He has done. So when the Father speaks about wisdom, we as Christians need to know that the truest wisdom of God, if if to have wisdom is first and foremost to know God, the only way to know God is Jesus, and then a life lived in the wake of the reality of that wisdom is in the wake of the Gospel. Jesus Christ entered into human history to save us from ourselves, to liberate us from our love of sin and love of self, and make us alive together with God in Jesus. And there was nothing we did to earn it. There was nothing that we do to keep it. That Jesus Christ had to come down and get to us so we can't do things to get to God, but that God came down to get to us, to set us free and give us life. This is baseline for reality as a Christian. Without this, we have nothing. Without this, all we have is consider the ant, oh, you sluggard, which is Scripture, by the way. I'm just saying, if it's not in its context of understanding who God is and why we do what we do, it's actually meaningless. So as Christians, we understand then that our whole life is lived in response to that gospel. So much about Proverbs is about living in the framework of reality. So my life isn't as a Christian, I check off some doctrine and say, yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, I believe Jesus, and now the rest of my life is going to look like it looked. The reality is that you cannot earn God's love, and yet He continuously pours it out on you. You cannot earn God's forgiveness, yet He continuously forgives you. You cannot do the things to make yourself right with God, but it's been all done in Jesus, which means that everything you do is grace. Every act and motion you do towards God, every time you draw near to God, James promised that He will draw near to us, but that you're not drawing near to God so He will love you. You are drawing near to God because He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He has spared you from His justice that we all deserve, more than you can even consider, and He's made you more alive than you even know. Welcome to reality. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, says this. My son... There's that father. Be attentive to my words. Now, again, you have to understand the thing that he's been teaching. uh, Joe read for my family, which is awesome Deuteronomy 6, right? So he's an Old Testament Jew. Deuteronomy 6 is reality for him. And that whole reality, that whole Old Testament reality is pointing forward to Messiah who's coming, Jesus, to save the whole world. And the whole point of what he's teaching his son in all of this, though he's giving him this wisdom, this wisdom is predicated on the reality of who God is. That God made everything good and we ultimately broke it. That God is on move uh, in the world and he's ultimately coming to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. This is the framework for his reality. And that there's no better reality than knowing God. And in fact, there's no reality without knowing God. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let that not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Now, when the Old Testament uses the word heart... Uh, we we kind of, I mean, it's Valentine's Day and maybe you got somebody some sweethearts or one of those little Ninja Turtle Valentines or whatever you did, right, uh, to let that special someone know uh, that you were thinking about them. And when we think heart, we kind of think uh, heart bubbles and nice romantic feelings or whatever. And that's, that's fine except for the, when the Old Testament talks about heart, it's really talking about the seat of the human person. And what I mean by that is the you that is you, your, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your memories, you, all of you, what you is, that's not proper English, or is it, what you is, who you are, or even what you are, is the heart, the seat of the human person. So he's not just saying, hey, put it on the calendar and have it on the desk and think about it. He's saying, get this stuff. And he said this before, and he'll say it again as we work through these nine chapters in Proverbs. as We're trying to get some wisdom. Get this stuff inside of you and do not let it go. And do not let it go. My son, be attentive to my words and clen your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Don't let them go. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them in healing uh, to all their flesh. So, take the things that I have told you and taught you, believe them and live them. Now, what's amazing about this is that this is all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Every time Paul writes a letter, the Pauline Epistles, 13 letters after the Gospels, every one of those letters, if you read them carefully, you will see start with something like this. This is who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1. He is preeminent. He is, he, through Him and for Him all things were made. Uh, and Paul just sets it up and he says, look how awesome Jesus is. And so then the rest of Colossians is not a switch where he says, no, you behave and do good things and be a Christian because Christians do good things. It's all. You should live in the wake of the reality of Jesus because He is so glorious and so wonderful and so gracious and so liberating and so forgiving to you. Our life is not, okay. God saved me and I have to do nice things because I'm a Christian so that at the end he'll say, you did a good job because you did nice things. My whole life is lived in the reality that Jesus has come and not just done nice things but great things and glorious things by living, dying, raising from the dead and saving from me for myself to life. Okay? So see that it's life and doctrine. Uh, uh, or, or we talked about it a couple weeks ago sanctification and salvation. You get saved and you live your life in the wake of that salvation being changed by Him. And a great, great verse for this. And a great, great letter and a great, great chapter because I love the Bible and it is all great. Is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says this. So Paul is writing to his young friend Timothy uh, who is pastoring in a hard place and he says this to him at the end of a great chapter, but we'll just look at verse 16. Keep close watch on yourself and the teaching. Watch you and watch what you believe. You gotta watch yourself and honestly one of the best ways to watch yourself is watch what you actually believe. We'll talk about that more but but keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this. This is actually the outline for our uh, paragraph. Believe, live, and keep going. Stay focused on what you believe, stay focused on the truth, stay focused on your life, and stay focused on the way that you're actually living it out, keeping your feet on the path. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for in so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we're back in Proverbs. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So three things. Keep, stay focused on the truth. Stay focused on the life. And stay focused on the way. Which may sound familiar, by the way. Because again, it's all over the Bible. But we need to make sure we keep that in the context. It's the truth of God. It's the life in God. It's the way of God. So here we are. Stay focused on the truth. Without the truth, you can't live the life. God made everything good. We broke it. He promised to fix it. People were waiting for it. He came. The Messiah came. They were so confused. They came. Is that the guy? John says. bit of a paraphrase, by the way. Is this the guy? Are you the guy? He sends his disciples from prison. Go ask this Jesus guy. Are you the guy we're looking for? Or should we look for somebody else? Are you the Messiah that God promised to put the world back the way it's supposed to be? Are you the Messiah that God promised to bring the truth of God to the nations? Are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Because as far as John knows, he's the first prophet in like 400 years and he's sitting in jail. He's like, I thought a guy was going to come and put everything back the way it was supposed to be. I thought somebody was going to come and kick these Romans out. I thought somebody was going to come and everything was going to be the way my life and your life we think it should look. What does Jesus say to him? He says, look around, man. Again, a paraphrase. Look around. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. And the poor have good news preached to them. Of course I'm here. Again, a paraphrase. But he's quoting Isaiah, which I'm paraphrasing Jesus. Quoting. Messiah is here, the one who God promised has come. And he comes and he does so much more. He lives a life that is perfect and sinless. The only one to ever live a perfect, sinless life. He dies the worst death imaginable for someone of the time and place. When Paul and Peter reportedly are executed on the same day, around 72, 62, 60, Anyways, when they're executed on the same day, don't quote me on the date, because now I realize that I didn't write in my notes, and I might be off. I just want to be honest. There you go. Uh, reportedly, they may have been killed on the same day. Peter, being just a Judean from Palestine at the time, as the Romans called it, he gets crucified. And in fact, Peter says, I'm too good, or my, my Lord is better than I am. I'm, I'm not good enough to die the way Jesus died. And so they say, fine, sassy. And they flip him upside down, which is even worse worst way to die. Peter, on the other hand, is beheaded. Because why? Because Peter, or pardon, Paul is beheaded. Why is Paul beheaded? He's a Roman citizen. Roman citizens are above the dignity of the cross. The cross is for common criminals. The cross is for the worthless in the eyes of Roman civilization. So Jesus Christ comes and lives the only sinless life, and then is executed and killed as a criminal. So the only man who doesn't deserve anything, the only man who is innocent of everything, dies as someone who's guilty of everything. But in so doing, he takes all of our guilt on his shoulders. Uh, It is 2015, and we don't like the W word, and the W word is the word wrath, because I think we don't understand it. Wrath is the business end of God's justice. It's God executing His rightness in the world. Now, We don't like it, and it makes us uncomfortable until you actually stop and think about even your own driving. And I know I use this illustration regularly, but I think it is so helpful because I know you've done this. That's why it's a helpful illustration. You're driving on the road. Someone's driving crazy, and you say to yourself, what? Where is a state patrolman when you need them? And they drive by. And then you're driving crazy and you're driving fast and a stater's sitting on the side with his gun doing his job and you start praying to God fervently, Dear Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. I promise I will never ever speed again. Show me mercy. We want the stater who's just doing his job to show the business end of the justice to the speeder and mercy to us. So yes, you do like justice, by the way. God does that on the cosmic scale. He does not allow sin to go. He does not allow wrongdoing to go. He does not sweep things under the rug because no one actually likes that. Look, the politician got away with the thing. It said so on the news. And everyone says, why didn't somebody get him? And then you get shown mercy. And you thank the Lord for your mercy, yet you want his wrath out on that guy. So yes, Jesus is just, but he also is just and the justifier. He's the justifier because He takes that wrath that you and I deserve for our sins against an infinitely lovely, wonderful, beautiful, glorious, awesome God. And He takes it on His shoulders and stands now before the God of the universe as the one who is your advocate if you are a Christian. Not just the sins you committed, but every sin you commit after Him, it is finished, He says on the cross. It is finished. It's done. You're made right with God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom He has set you free. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. He came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. This is a symbol and a sign of the life that Jesus came to give to you if you are a Christian. <laughs> Woo! by living, dying, and raising from the dead. It's not just that He pays the price for your sins, but that He gives you life. Now this is doctrine. Keep an eye on the teaching. Do not let this go. Know this. He is returning. He will rule. He will reign. He will judge. And He will put everything back the way it's supposed to be. Now, why is all that important? Well, I can tell you 10,000 reasons why that is all important. But for our particular text in Proverbs, this is the framework for reality. Verse 23. Stay focused on the life. Life. You were talking about doctrine. I just want to know life. Tell me how to balance my checkbook. Give me the list of things to do. I, I just want to live a nice, clean, cleaned up life. Friends, I have nothing for you other than the liberation that comes through Jesus Christ. When we say, "Do show me how to do these things. All I want is the things to get my life cleaned up. All you have is a law. Do these things and you will be right. Do this and be right. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus and live. And yes, we live in response to that. Yes, we believe Him. Yes, we obey Him when He says, yes, this is bad and this is good. But ultimately, we turn to Jesus to live to be forgiven for our sins and to know God and live a life. In response to that, verse 23... Keep your heart with all vigilance, uh, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from your life. So we stay focused on the truth, but we also stay focused on the life. Because this isn't an abstraction. You're the church, Big C Church, if you're a Christian. This means that you are saved and created for God's glory, to make His name famous. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that happens in at least three ways. One is a passive way. How? By showing you grace and mercy. I am a sinner saved by grace. I have rebelled against God more ways than I can even imagine and count, and yet He says, forgiven. And he doesn't say Andrew Pack's forgiven because he's an awesome foosball player. He doesn't even say Andrew Pack's forgiven because he gets up and reads his Bible almost every day. He is, a, he is forgiven because he goes to church. He is forgiven because he's in Christian community. He's forgiven because he prays, wrong, I'm forgiven because Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from myself to his glory. Which is passive. There's a passive glory to hear. He's just pouring that grace and mercy out on you. He's just pouring that out to show the universe that He is awesome and forgiving and loving. How else does He glorify Himself? He glorifies Himself because He created you to glorify Him by enjoying Him and knowing Him and loving Him. So all of a sudden, I don't read my Bible so he will love me. I read my Bible because he loves me and because he gave himself for me and because I want to know him and because I want to be close to him and near to him and hear his voice. I pray to him because I know the line is open to the God of the universe because of Jesus Christ. Right? Okay. So the other way, of course, is we love other people. We love God. We love other people. We have the love of God poured out on us that we return back on up to him. And pour out onto other people this is the life lived what does this mean i'm taking this truth into my heart as this father instructs his son verse 23 keep your heart keep your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life so we're keeping the teaching in our heart and from what we actually believe and what we are actually convicted about we actually act right we actually do our life So I know that Jesus came to give life, and he came to give me life in abundance, and you life in abundance um, if you are a Christian. And the reality is, if you are a Christian, you have had an encounter with the God of the universe. And so a model or idea or framework in which you've had an encounter with God who made everything, who sent his son, the second member of the Trinity, God himself to save you, who sent. Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to indwell you and make you alive together with Him. If you hear all that and then just cruise the way you were cruising before you met Jesus, there's something wrong. How can you meet the God of the universe and not expect to be changed by that? How can you meet the God of the universe who is holy, all light, no dark, all right, all the time, and not see flaws and imperfections in your own life that need to be worn away by His grace and mercy? How can you encounter the God? I mean, this is typical, right? This is Seattle. This may be you. You would say, I couldn't believe in any God who fill in the blank. Who wants me to do this or thinks this is wrong. You fill any blank in there. There's a big, 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 big problem. And in that place, case, you're God who has it all figured out. And God needs to learn from you, in which case we all have a big, big problem. You would anticipate that if you have an encounter with God in His holiness and His grace and you're exposed to that light and that encounter with that God, well, you probably see some things in that light. The need to go, I know I did and do. I did and do. It's not just a one-time happening, right? But we understand we're saved by Jesus and we're renewed by His Spirit to life. And so this affects our actual life, Right? So if at any point in time we say, well, you know, well, I am a Christian, and so because I'm a Christian, I should love other people. I once I won't say who, but I once heard someone say, you know, you need to be a Christian and love other people because if other people see you not loving other people, then they won't want to be a Christian. Well, that sounds like a lot is writing on my holiness and perfection at that point in time. Um, the reality is is that as a Christian I will live a life and people will see stuff in my life and you might think I'm a hypocrite because guess what, there are times when I do things that are different than what are my core belief and conviction in who Jesus is because I'm still dealing, just as you are by the way, with the old man and the new man. The old man's going, the new man's here. I am new, I am, ch- I am changed, and yet I still live in this broken body, in this broken world, and need to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not that I stand up here and say, y'all need to love everybody so that people will know how loving you are and then they'll love Jesus. And be perfect at it all the time. Because how far are we going to get on that one? No. We're sinners saved by grace. So the reason I love other people, which you should, you ought to love other people, is not, I'm a Christian, I should love other people. The reality is that God has loved you. God has loved you and loves you more than you can possibly imagine. If it's for me, I'm busy. It's okay. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And so my love for God and my love for others comes from the reality that I understand, even in part, even just a little bit, how much He has loved me. And so we have this sense of, why well, I should be forgiving because I'm a Christian. Christians are forgiving. We're, we're nice people because we're Christians. And that guy flashed me the universal sign of disapproval, and I need to forgive him in my heart. That guy dinged my car. Saw a guy yesterday bound somebody's hood of their car three times because they were in the crosswalk. Boom, boom, boom. I kept walking. Thought he put a dent in it. Right? The answer is no, I need to forgive him because Christians forgive. My answer is that Jesus Christ has forgiven me more than I can possibly imagine. There are things he's forgiven me for that I don't even remember. There are ways that he has corrected me and made me right, and made me right with the God of the universe, further and deeper than I could possibly perceive. And so all of a sudden I understand this, right? I, I had this experience. I was, I was sitting with some people, we were doing, we put a, put an ad in a little local paper thing once, and, and they said, Hey, let's meet and talk about it. And I said, Okay. And and they wanted to hear about, they looked at me and said, Wow, you're, you know. You're a Seattleite. How did you meet Jesus? And I began to tell them the story about my conversion, trying to share the gospel with them as we're talking. And they said, well, it sounds like when you met Jesus that you found the power to forgive these people for wronging you. And I said, no. No, when I met Jesus, I found out how much I had wronged God, and all of a sudden their wronging to me really paled in comparison to how much I had offended the God of the universe, which then empowered me to forgive them for the ways they had Sin against me. See, there's a difference there. I need you to see this. One is white knuckling. One is saying, well, because I'm a Christian, I act a certain way. There's some truth to that in a sense, but if it misses the gospel, it misses the whole deal. If you're having problems forgiving someone, The problem is not that you need to try harder to forgive them, but that you need to look deeper and deeper into how God has forgiven you and respond to the reality of the cross and then extend that forgiveness to them. Do you see the difference? One is spiritual push ups, one is beholding the cross. One is white knuckling, one is coming to Jesus. Watch your life and your teaching. The life and the teaching are a hand-and-glove experience. How you think you got in this deal and how you live this deal out go together like peanut butter and jelly. Because chances are, if you look in your life and you're not forgiving or you're not loving or you're not generous or, or whatever the thing might be, is that you may consider that the way that you actually became a Christian is different than you actually became a Christian. If you are a Christian, you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will be saved, period. Welcome to Jesus. That's the reality of the gospel. Paul asks this great question in Galatians, which is a big back and forth with how we live in light of what we know to be true. And he says to the Galatians in chapter 3, did you who began in the Spirit, are you going to complete this thing in the law? Again, a little bit of a paraphrase, but, you know, it's about the Greek of it. Did did you who began this thing by Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on the cross, uh, uh, securing your salvation, foreknowing your life, for knowing you before the foundations of the earth, choosing to forgive you for your sins before then, uh, drinking the cup of wrath which you ultimately deserve uh, for your sins against Him, uh, and saved you from yourself at the proper and appointed time. He did all that, and now the rest is on you? He did all of that by coming to earth and dying in your place and extending you grace so that you could live the rest of your life by works and law? It's not what the Bible says, but frankly, that's how we live. When we begin to to add on rules and the shoulds of life, well, I really should do this, and I really should do this because I'm a Christian. I should wear a, you know, I don't know. I should do this, that, or the other. Yeah, when it's on its own, when it's hanging out there, it's nothing. But when it's lived in response to Jesus, I want to love others because He loved me, etc. I want to forgive others because He's forgiven me. I want to tell other people about Jesus because God made me alive together with Him and I want you to live. If you don't know Him and you are here today, I want nothing more than for God to change your life and for you to live and be saved by Him. I want you to be free because I'm free. Because the people I know who love God are free. And yet there's this lame default mode. When you ask someone, Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not a very good Christian. I'm not very good at what? Receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Well, He did that, not you. So, hey, welcome to the team. Yeah, you, you may be looking at this and say, you're right, I, I do need to be more loving because I don't understand how much God... I'm not responding to the love of God. You're right, I'm not reading my Bible because I can meet with Him. You're right, I do need to change. I'm not saying don't change. This is not don't change. This is not antinomianism. This is not just you know text all your friends and get ready to while out this afternoon because Jesus did it all to make you free because in fact, at the point in time in which you hear this, that Jesus Christ saves you from yourself and you say, cool, let's while out then. You actually missed the whole thing, and Paul in Romans says, I'm concerned you don't even know who he is at that point in time. If you look at this Jesus and are not changed by it. And then Proverbs says something scary. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. Here's a great gauge on where you're at with your life and belief. How's your mouth? I don't mean if you've been to the dentist or not. Are you quick-tempered? Vile? Nasty? Rude? Mean? We say things, and then we say, well, I didn't mean to say that. And what we mean by that is, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Because then you heard it. But you did mean to say it. It came out of your mouth because it was in your heart. And your heart needs to be changed by the love of God. James has so much to say about this in chapter 3, that the tongue is like a little fire that's very dangerous. It's like the rudder of a ship. We used to praise the Lord, and the next thing we used to cuss people out. It's a little fire that could set the whole woods on fire. If you want to know where you're at with what you believe, a great place to check behaviorally speaking. Not that we modify your behavior, but that you check your tongue. What's coming out of your mouth? Because what comes out of your mouth is what's coming out of your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Thank you. For from it flow the springs of life right out of the heart. Uh, Jesus is going to say this, right? This is Matthew 5. This is just Matthew 5. You look at someone with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You look at someone with anger, you've already murdered. The heart is on the move and the sin is the actualization of what's actually happening inside of your heart. And the tug is a great gauge for that. Okay, verse 25. So we're keeping an eye on our doctrine, we're keeping an eye on the teaching, we're keeping an eye on the truth, that truth that sets us free. And we're living in the freedom of that truth. Verse 23 and 24. Um, So we're staying focused on the truth, staying focused on life, and now we stay focused on our way. What does that mean? That means not just today means tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and so on and so forth. Um, You can make a strong profession. You can say you're going to do all kinds of wonderful things for God. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to do this other thing. You can say all these things, but if you don't actually do them, They're not actually done. Right? Yeah, 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 sure, I'll do that. When? You've got a course to follow. It's not just saying you're going to be faithful to Jesus. It's not just saying you're going to love your wife. It's not saying you're going to love your husband. It's not saying you're going to love your kids. It's not saying you're going to love your friends. It's loving your friends, wife, husband, etc., 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 it's not just dreaming about loving people, it's actually loving people. Okay? To overpromise and underdeliver is a lie. It's not staying the course. No one imagines themselves meeting Jesus, becoming a faithful Christian and walking away 5 years later. No one imagines themselves as a solid Bible believing Jesus loving person and as they're doing that, say, yeah, I think I'm going to do this for about three years. Five years. Six, six years. Yeah. That'll be good. Is does that, does that enough to pay the tab? I'm just good from there? Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. So how does it actually look? Because there's this weird tension point, correct? Maybe you're feeling it. Not height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Right? And yet you're saying, I can walk away. Yeah, it's a big theological head-scratcher. But I think this is helpful for us. And this even helps answer our constant question, which is a sanctification question. It's a life-lived question. If Jesus paid it all, what the heck do I do with the rest of my life? So, if Jesus has done everything that needs to happen for me to be made right with God and live, what do I do with the rest of my life if He already did it all? Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. So, we're coming off of Paul talking about what it was to be legalistic, to be a a Jew who was thought well of by His people, who followed all the rules and even persecuted those Christians. Verse 7 but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is about staying the course. This is about putting one foot in front of the other for your entire life, regardless of what the season looks like. These verses are awesome when things are awesome. Things are not always awesome. I get all things through him who strengthens me. We love to misquote that verse. Or no, we misquote it. We quote it out of context because we missed the first part of the verses. I know how to be brought high and I know how to be brought low. I know how to navigate the sunny days. It's a sunny day. I know how to navigate the rain. I know how to go on the, the still waters and the shaky waters. I do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's writing that from prison, by the way. He's not writing it from a mansion, just for the record. Again, everything is lost. And this too, by the way. Same letter. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. My whole life before I met Jesus, no matter what I had, whatever status I had, whatever finances I had, whatever fame or prestige or how good I followed the law or the rules or how good of a person people thought that I was, Paul counts it as rubbish. Rubbish. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I will give up absolutely, absolutely everything for Jesus. Jesus or bust. Whatever it takes to follow him faithfully, it's his. And, being, be, and be found in him. Listen to this. Listen. Listen not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from being a good person, from doing the right things, um, from whatever thing you might think might be the thing that makes you right with God. There's only one thing that makes you right with God. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of from God that depends on faith it's Jesus that makes me right it's Jesus that sanctifies me it's Jesus that moves that I may know him and the power of his resurrection whenever you see resurrection think life As the life we live now and forever with him and may share his sufferings what a scary thing to say becoming like him in his death that by what any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. This means I set my eyes on Jesus, I put blinders on, and I let nothing get in the way of my lifelong pursuit of Jesus Christ and knowing Him more, and loving Him more, and glorifying Him more, and enjoying Him more, and living in the great joy of the freedom that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's great. Because you're probably in an ESV or maybe a Holman, and there's a black line that says "straining toward the goal." That's not there in the Greek, by the way. Just for the record, in fact, in the Greek it just flows, so we don't have a pause. This isn't the spot if you're preaching. This where you stop the sermon and you say, "Did you guys hear that?" You do everything you can. One foot in the free under the other. Get to work. My voice is going. I'm not trying to sound like a drill sergeant. My voice is just going. Um, But if we stop there, that's where we end up anyhow. You try harder. You keep going. But listen to what Paul says here. I'm going to read 10 that I just read, and then I'm going to read through so you get the weight of what Paul's saying. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. I'm not home yet. This world is still broken. I'm still broken. I'm not there yet. But here is confidence. Not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Period. Past tense. I belong to Jesus, therefore I will not let Jesus go. Brothers, family, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yesterday may have been the worst day of your life, and it's yesterday. Today we put one foot in front of the other following Jesus who saved us from ourselves not so that He will love us, not because I think I'm making Him my own but because He has made me His own. I belong to Jesus. If you are a Christian, you belong to Jesus and that is why we keep going. That is why we keep putting one foot in front of the other. That is why we forget what lies behind. Paul murdered church people. Paul was not Jesus. Paul was a human being who sinned. Stephen in particular, X. You don't think that he doesn't think about that? You don't think he doesn't go to bed thinking about Stephen? You don't think he's got this thing? He does, it's there, and it's going to be, as Isaiah tells us, in the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus comes and puts everything back the way it's supposed to be, a distant memory. It will be like a bad dream somewhere in the back of his mind. It doesn't get washed away, but compared to knowing Jesus forever, it begins to pale and pales in comparison. I'm not making this up. It's in the book of Isaiah. Right? So this is Paul, a real human being, who's saying, forget about yesterday. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The fuel for that fire is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Thanks, Paul. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Watch your life, watch teaching. Watch the truth, watch how you're living. Brothers, join in imitating me. That join word's powerful. Paul's not saying act like me, he's saying act like me when I act like Jesus. This cannot be said enough. Discipleship at Anchor Church is not that you begin to parrot whoever's walking with you as you're trying to grow or the people you're doing life with. Discipleship is not, Andrew listens to horrible, hardcore, straight-edge music from the mid-1990s. I should do that, too. No, you shouldn't. Do everybody you know a favor. Stay out of there. You're free in Christ to go there. Bain is amazing, but just do, especially if you live anywhere near anybody, don't do it. Get headphones. The point is not that you'd be into earth crisis and strife. bands you've never even heard of, and who cares? The point is that as you're walking with people, if you see godly character, if you see them loving, if you see them forgiving, if you see spiritual disciplines in your life, if you see the way they read their Bible in freedom, or pray their guts out for the sick, or are quick to be the people who pray, or bring a meal, or love people they don't know, or you're walking with somebody and you see how they share the gospel with other people, and you say, I want to be like that. That's good. We're Seattle, so we're individualists. We're so, well, he did it. that. He shared the gospel that way and was very effective. And I don't want to copy him. I don't want to mow his lawn or read his mail. i got to do it my own way. No. If it's working and if it's following Jesus, follow Jesus. Do the Jesus stuff the Jesus way. The Jesus-y stuff. That's why he's saying join in imitating me. He's not saying just imitate me. And this is backed up in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way and if, anything, uh, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obta- attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's okay to see how godly people do life. This is what happens in uh, 2 Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2. For some reason, we've reduced Titus chapter 2 to something we, and if you, if this doesn't make sense, some of you will be like, this doesn't make sense, and then some of you will say, oh yeah, I was in that church. We reduced, and this isn't even wrong, but we reduced Titus chapter 2 to the thing we call the tea that happens on Sunday afternoons where the ladies get together, and that's okay. The heart behind that is that it says, and maybe that's just me, right? Okay. The heart is that it says, older women teach younger women. Older men teach younger men. We talked about this last week at length, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, the tea is awesome. Why do you call it Titus chapter 2? Because people need to be around other people and see how they're living and follow them as they're following Jesus. See their example. It's not just about tea. It's about life on life. It's about doing life together. It's about people teaching other people things they've learned from God as they've followed God and known their Bible as they've grown helping other people to grow. This is what we believe it is to be a member of the church, is to take responsibility for other people and have other people take responsibility for you. If you don't know how to read your Bible, there's people who will help you. Maybe you get to a Bible and you're like, where do I start? Leviticus, that sounds nice. What's Leviticus all about? Leviticus is awesome. I would recommend you start in John. We will get to Leviticus. <laughs> I love Leviticus. I love, the, I love the Hebrew Bible. There's more grace in there than we know. But I would really recommend you start with John. I'd really recommend if you've never done this, sitting down with somebody else to read the Bible with them. If you've never read the Bible before, this is a church crawling with people who would love to read them. We get in a dog pile fight to read the Bible with someone who's never read the Bible before because we are a Bible church that loves the Bible. So we are. Okay. I press on. Oh, wait, no. Preach a whole another sermon if I go back up in there. Um, for many, now listen. Listen to Paul's heart here, please, and we'll wrap it up. For many of whom I have often told you, now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their god is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset set on earthly things. Now hear Paul's confidence. Hear Paul's confidence for us. But your citizenship is in heaven. Why does he say that? He knows the Philippians. He's seen them at work. He's seen them following Jesus. He's seen the fruit in their lives that back up the confession that they have made and their response to the gospel but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him uh, even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, was it therefore, therefore, everything we just read, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown? stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. We stand firm in the truth. We don't wander from the truth. We don't wander from Jesus. We don't wander from the Gospel. We don't wander from putting one foot in front of the other. When I don't believe the implications of the doctrine of the truth of Jesus, or I even begin to reject it, that flows down into my life. And our life is a great reflection of whether or not we're believing the Gospel. And as our life gets off track, our life will continue to be off track. We will put one foot in front of the other after sin and lawlessness and everything other than Jesus. It cascades and it starts up here with what we actually believe about who Jesus is and what he has done. And then it flows down into your life because your life begins to reflect that there's something else more valuable than Jesus. There's something else that's more enjoyable than Jesus. And that's where we while out. Or there's some better righteousness than Jesus. There's some better way to get to God, and that's where we lean and depend on works. That's where all of a sudden the reason why you're good is because you're good, not because God's good. The reason you're holy is because you get up and read your Bible. Um, Again, I can't say this enough. Get up and read your Bible. The Bible is awesome. If you don't set your alarm, you're not going to get up and read it. But do it to meet with God. Not to be right with God. You already are right with God. Do it because you are right with God. If you're not a Christian, there's only one thing for you to focus on right now in life. I think, I think I know. Meet Jesus. Know him. Love him. Take a Bible and read it. Ask whoever you're sitting next to questions. Like I said, we're dogpile Bible reading people. Ask questions. There'll be people who pray with you. People who talk to you. I'll talk to you. Get to the bottom of this Jesus thing. If you are a Christian, how's your doctrine? Are you believing things other than the Bible and other than the truth? Are you looking at things and saying, well, that doesn't mean me. I mean, I know it says that, but it doesn't mean me. I can do whatever I want. How's your life? Is your life a picture and a reflection of the fact that Jesus has saved you from yourself? Either... That you're walking in repentance by saying, I'm sorry I did that, that was wrong, oops, sorry, please forgive me. Or by the fact that your life is changing. I'm not the heart police and I'm not the Holy Spirit. You talk to God about it. Because the reality is, if you are a Christian, Jesus has saved you to set you free to love Him, to know Him, and to enjoy Him. You're free. This thing that is the gospel is freedom for your soul. It's freedom from wiling out. It's freedom from emptiness. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from trying to follow rules to get up to God. It's the freedom of depending on the fact that God has come down to save you. Be free. Let's pray. Lord, help us to pursue you, Jesus. Help us to know You. Help us to follow You. But help us to do it, not so that we can make You our own, but because You have made us Your own. Help us to know You and love You and serve You in the great joy that comes from being people who have had an encounter with God who made everything. Help us to just live in the wake of the freedom. You've paid the price for all our sins and we're free and we're alive. Help us to embrace it and enjoy it. Help us to see you and know you and love you, Jesus. God, we do love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.